Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. It has been a long week for conservatives, but we've made it to the finish line for the work week. And sadly, we have no good martinis for you, except for the fact that we're sponsored today again by Bambi. More on them in just a moment for all of your human resources needs. We've got two bads and a crazy today, Jim. Let's start with the economic meat of Joe Biden's COVID relief plan. Two different uh, pieces of analysis here. First, one that came out earlier in the week from Wharton. We were planning to talk about this on Wednesday until we, of course, uh, came across the news that Rush Limbaugh had passed away. And the Wharton study basically says that uh, despite pumping out $1.9 trillion, if Biden gets everything he wants, in his COVID relief plan, it's barely going to make a dent in the economy this year. And it's actually going to have a negative effect in the economy next year. And so despite all of that extra money, it's not going to do what uh, he claims it's going to do. Now we have another uh, report from the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, which talks about just how much waste is in this thing as currently constructed. Uh, According to the report, only 1% of the entire package goes towards COVID vaccines. 5% is truly focused on public health needs surrounding the pandemic. They see a lot of checks going out to people who have not suffered economic hardships here, so they see that as wasteful spending, as well as, of course, the long-held Democratic wish of helping to bail out uh, economically mismanaged blue states and other states in some cases. Uh, so that's also bloated. And there's about $300 billion of that, which has nothing to do with the pandemic at all, including boosting the minimum wage, Affordable Care Act subsidies, and things that in a normal situation we might actually like, like expanding the child tax credit. But uh, Jim, what do you make of uh, folks that aren't exactly hardcore righties uh, pointing out that there's a lot of bloat here and it's not actually going to help the economy? Yeah, look, first of all, it's been, as you said, a hell of a news week. And it's complete, you know, we, we put this aside when the news of Rush came along. But this isn't the sort of thing that should just kind of get swallowed up by a news cycle. Uh, the Wharton School of Business over at the University of Pennsylvania, it's not, these are not crazy right-wingers. These are not Groper Norquist saying, we got to put government in the bathtub and get it so small that we can strangle it or something like that. This, this is, you know, folks who are, I think Biden used to teach at UPenn for a while, right? So these are folks who would like to see him succeed. They are not, uh, they're not coming to this with any giant partisan ax to grind. This is their best analysis of the numbers. And when it says, you know, like they, they, one, they point out about the debt and I know Democrats don't worry about debt anymore, but like this is be a sign of, well, maybe you should fellas. And the line that, you know, just decrease GDP by two tenths of a percentage point in 2022 and uh, three tenths of a percentage point by 2040, like, that's kind of a big deal. That's that's the sort of thing you should notice. And let's step back and take a look. What is wrong with our economy right now? Are we uh, overleveraged in assets or are the banks made a whole bunch of bad loans or uh, is there a housing bubble that's ready to burst? Eh, I mean, I, I suppose some economists out there might be making this argument, but the problem with this economy is the pandemic. The, the people can't go to work the way they usually do. Um, certain businesses like uh, movie theaters are operating at greatly reduced uh, capacity, restaurants, bars, people aren't getting onto airplanes. 
Uh, pitchers and catchers have reported in Arizona and in Florida. And just think about how many people go down and spend money in Arizona, in Florida, going to spring training and watching their favorite baseball team. It's not a ton, but I'm sure that for every community in Florida and Arizona that hosts one of those teams, that's a big deal. People stay in the hotels. They eat in the restaurants. They buy tickets to the spring training games. They're buying pennants and hats and, and all that kind of stuff. This is all a whole chunk of economic activity that is not going on the way it normally does because of the pandemic. Well, we're rolling out the shots. Things are slowly getting a little bit better, although the bad weather this past week has not helped. And it's one of those where if you can get everybody vaccinated, businesses can open up fully. People, they can start hiring employees again. They might even start having to hire more of them or give them raises because they're gonna be dealing with a lot more of this business and things are gonna be fine. So we may not need all this stuff in the Biden relief package. And certainly things like the $15 an hour that's not, look, whatever you think of it, and you and I have talked about the, the raising the minimum wage on this podcast a bunch of times, that's not an emergency response to this uh, pandemic. That's not a response to something that came along and completely disrupted our lives in March. This is something the Democratic Party has wanted for a very, very long time, and it doesn't belong in a, something that's specifically supposed to read on the response to the pandemic. Or if you took it out, you have a much better chance. Oh, by the way, apparently the Biden administration is quietly hinting to governors. We don't think this is going to be in the final package. Well, if you're willing to compromise on it, let's 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 can we skip ahead then? Like you're, they're simultaneously saying we absolutely positively need to pass this as quickly as possible. Oh, by the way, we'll get to it eventually. <laughs> Well, like you said yesterday, Jim, what Joe Biden says and what his administration is doing uh, can be two very different things at different times. And so the Democrats do this all the time. Not that Republicans don't. Uh, they have certainly rolled out the pork plenty of times in the past where, hey, we can't let the crisis go to waste. But uh, it's something the Democrats specialize in. Only this time, it's not quite 2009 because they don't nearly have the margins in the House and Senate. Kirsten Sinema has already said she's not going to vote for a uh, minimum wage increase. And so we'll see what actually gets through. But already, a lot of the GOP amendments that got through in the Votorama, they don't have to be in the final bill and most of them aren't going to be. So uh, Democrats are going to strong arm here as much as they can. So let's talk about the only good news we have today, and that's that you can get some help for your human resources department. Because look, in addition to all the uh, challenges you're facing from the pandemic and just regular day-to-day -day responsibilities in running your business, HR issues can really crush you. You can face things like wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, thank you very much, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year. Well, Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, -E, was created specifically for small businesses. And you can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 per month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day, all for just $99 a month. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance, so you should let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash martini right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash martini, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot -E com slash martini. All right, Jim, you mentioned that once uh, folks get vaccinated, uh, businesses can open fully. 
We might need to put a slight asterisk next to that, which is going to make everyone thrilled, of course. We've already heard certain rumblings about, well, even once people are vaccinated, it's still possible to uh, spread the, the virus, so you need to stay masked maybe for the, another year or so. And now... Fauci is speaking again, this time in The Hill, although he's actually talking to MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious diseases expert on Thursday, said a vaccine for a variant strain of the coronavirus believed to have originated in South Africa will likely take several months. Quote, we're already, for example, working with the Moderna company. Pfizer's doing it on their own. I'm sure it's a good company, a big company, he said. But what we're doing is we're working with them to get a sample of the vaccine that you can actually have it code for the protein that's the appropriate protein for the South African isolate. Okay, we're not going to get into the, too deep into this into the scientific jargon here, Jim. But he's clearly talking about another vaccine to deal with the South African variant. And so the immediate uh, issue that comes to mind is, okay, now we've got to wait several more months, possibly another year for this vaccine. And of course, this could always mutate again. It probably will. So are we going to end up in a giant game of mutation whack-a-mole, which means that uh, in the words of everybody's favorite TV weatherman, Phil Connors, Channel 9 Pittsburgh, this winter is going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. Okay. So this is one of those rare cases where what Fauci is talking about and what I have written about in today's Morning Jolt are the same thing. And I, with great trepidation, I say, I don't think Dr. Fauci is right on this, but Greg, I don't think Dr. Fauci is right on this. Or at the very least, Pfizer is saying the vaccine that they have is going to work at least some against the South African virus. The question is, how much protection does it give you? And they have a laboratory study they just released earlier this week saying that the variant produce, reduces the protective antibodies elicited by their vaccine by two thirds. But the thing is, that's not the same as how much is the shot effective against this path version of the pathogen. Uh, they have a field dormitizer, which sounds like some sort of late night product sold to college students. Uh, says one of the top, he's one of the Pfizer's top viral vaccine scientists, a co-author of the study. And he says, look, the current vaccine is highly likely to still protect against the concerning variant first discovered in South Africa. Quote, a level of neutralizing antibodies that may be on the order of between a third and a half of the neutralizing antibodies you see against the original virus does not mean that you have only a third or a half of the, of the protection level. You may well have full protection. One of the things that I think is kind of worth keeping in mind here is that, look, right now, for the South African variant, you're walking around with nothing. Okay, If you get the Pfizer vaccine and they say it's only about a third to a half is effective, well, that's still a third to, half, to a half more protection than you had before you got the vaccine. That's probably going to help you. The other thing that's kind of fascinating is we've been hearing about the South African vaccine for a couple of months. And this was, you know, one of the scenarios we dreaded. Was there going to be a, vari a variation of this virus that was not only, that was, you know, thankfully does not appear to be more virulent, as they say, but is more contagious. Some people are saying, well, maybe it is a little more. In the first week of January, uh, South Africa was getting more than 21,000 daily cases, right? That's bad. That, you know, that, that was higher than their midsummer peak. Oh, by the way, keep in mind for the Southern hemisphere, their winter is like our summer our su and, and vice versa. Well, the last couple of days, the number of cases they've been reported have been around 2,000 or 3,000. They've had the same decline in cases that the rest of the world has had. So as bad as the South African variant is, and it's bad, there's no two ways about it. It is still, however, being beaten by the vaccines that they are applying out there. And oh, by the way, the number of active cases, I think back in January 20th, they had 232,000. 
considering they have a you know, significantly smaller population than we do. They're currently down to about 48,000. Uh, the death rate peaked or spiked right around that same time, early January, looking really bad, more than 800 a day. Now they're in the neighborhood of 165, 230, you know, 200, 195, much less. So South Africa has managed to get the South African variant under control, or at least not the raging fire that it was really just six weeks ago. If they can get it under control, I feel pretty good about our ability to get it under control, in part because we're rolling out our vaccines and more and more people are getting them. And at least Pfizer is saying, this isn't going to give you perfect protection. It's going to give you improved protection against this variant. But what are we really trying to stop here? We're trying to stop people from getting hospitalized so we don't have the hospitals overrun with patients. And we're trying to stop people from dying. If the Pfizer vaccine, I assume this is what they're saying, applies similar to Moderna, with some uh, similar you know, sense of Johnson & Johnson being eh, sort of effective, not as effective as you'd like. Look, if all of these scenarios can prevent hospitalization and deaths, Greg, we're going to be fine. If this was a really bad flu, we'd all be able to live with it because you get the flu, you're out of work for a week, out of school for a week. It's bad. You feel bad. You drink a lot of fluids and you get over it and you're okay. If that's what these vaccines can reduce this to, we're going to be all right. This is not a reason to panic. This is not a reason to say, oh, lockdowns forever. Human, human behavior is forever going to change. Now, is this something we have to keep an eye on? Sure. Am I worried about additional variants? Sure. Is there a fear that some point uh, would I like to see the process of generating boosters to go after these different variants? Uh, a little bit faster because it's remember they, they figured out the, the basic core formula for these vaccines within a matter of days way back in, in the beginning of 2020. The rest of this was mass producing it, testing it, and getting all the data ready for the FA, FDA. Oh, speaking of which, Greg, hey, FDA, how's that Johnson & Johnson one coming? I don't know. There's got to be a Jets joke in there somewhere though, right? There are a whole bunch of endeavors by Johnson & Johnson that I'm waiting for some more action on, we can say. <laughs> Results are always just a little bit further down the road, I guess. Open borders are inhumane. Listen, folks, Joe Biden's immigration policies are already causing huge problems from stopping border wall construction, releasing criminals into our communities, exposing our children to them, to the desperate people being exploited by the cartels on their way into the United States. I'm Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, we are following this issue very closely, and I'll share my expertise and my terrific sources to explain how this impacts our nation and our families. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, let's talk about our crazy martini today. And it's one that I'm pretty sure everyone's got the basic gist of because the mainstream media can't get enough of it. We're talking about Ted Cruz, a Republican senator from Texas. Texas, of course, uh, dealing with record cold and storms, or at least it's been generations since it got that cold and that kind of weather in Texas. And so the, the power has been out for uh, people on a rolling basis throughout much of the past week. Uh, led to uh, the water systems shutting down because people kept their faucets on so the pipes wouldn't freeze. And so people were, that, were, were without water for a long time misery in a lot of different ways in Texas. And so then, uh, I guess it was a couple of days ago, Ted Cruz is spotted at the airport heading to Cancun. And so that, of course, uh, gave the idea, well, this is Marie Antoinette or some other uh, sort of, well, I guess it sucks to be you while I go off to the beach type of situation. Uh, he is now back. He says it was a mistake to go. Uh, he says he was just taking his daughters down there because they wanted to go to the beach. And Jim, there's a couple of different ways that this is crazy. First of all, yes, it's true, of course, that as a U.S. senator, there's not a lot Ted Cruz can do right now to get the, the power grid back up and running. 
But at the same time, whenever there's a crisis, you need to be there helping out in whatever way you can. And so the fact that he was uh, leaving the state and headed to warmer climes uh, certainly didn't look good. It reminds me a little bit in a, in a different way of uh, Steve Largent, who was on a hunting trip on 9-11, didn't even know that it happened, came back and was viewed out of touch and actually lost the governor's race in 2002. But uh, Jim, given the fact that we have a pandemic going on, given the actual crisis in Texas and everything else, uh, the media's wall-to-wall coverage of this was also quite crazy. So uh, what do you make of this on multiple fronts? Yeah, I, I do think this is a another entrant into the giant vacuum that exists in an era since Trump got kicked off of Twitter and went to Mar-a-Lago. The media just has this voracious hunger for, aren't Republicans terrible type stories. And this, you know, they, they don't have their traditional, oh my God, can you believe what Trump said today? They, they don't have that. So they need to fill the gap. And that's why for like a week, Marjorie Taylor Greene was the most important person in America. Um, and they, you know, they'll need, you know, it was the Nikki Haley for a couple of days and now boom, it's Ted Cruz's, uh, uh, you know, his moment in the barrel to get, you know, whacked around and look, he's earned it. I'm not going to spend any time here defending Ted Cruz. You you should not go on a family vacation right as a giant winter storm that's completely uncharacteristic for your state comes along and freezes everybody. And if you want to say, oh, isn't anybody entitled to a vacation? It's been a really long and exhausting year. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, Ted Cruz did ask for this job, you know, multiple times. He, he, he ran and he won re-election against Beto O'Rourke. And I think when you accept public office, you accept some public scrutiny of when you're on the job and when you're not on the job. And it's going to be tough to schedule family vacations when you're a U.S. Senator. Sorry, this this is part of the price of leadership. And this is, you know, he's going to have to answer to his constituents. And yes, it's, of course, it's true that Ted Cruz is not uh, single-handedly responsible for the state of the power grid in Texas. He's not responsible for uh, how quickly and the preparedness to the state. Look, you know, it, again, most of it's Texas. It, you know, gets some you know, northern part of the state gets some snow every now and then, but you're not going to see. You don't usually see really bad snow in Houston, right, or or Galveston on the Gulf of Mexico, right. So, uh, but in a situation like that, what is, what is it fair to ask of Ted Cruz? Well, I think if you're in public office, you want to be able to say, "I couldn't do much, but I did what I could." And it's see, you know, like that. That's that's not you know, not asking a lot. All those stories, like we used to make fun of the stories of how Cory Booker was always this superhero who was, uh, you know, running into burning buildings and uh, uh, taking care of T Bone and the injured teenager <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? When the, you're a mayor of a city and a lot of your city services aren't terrific, getting out there with a shovel and people seeing you digging the snow yourself. It helps. It, it's a nice little indicator of, okay, he's doing what he can. Now you can argue about whether Cory Booker did that greater job as mayor. And in fact, I wrote a very, you know, several versions of that piece and the argument is eh, not really, but you know, at least it's something. And it's one of those things where I'd like to see if you're, if you're Ted Cruz and you hear that a terrible winter storm is coming to your state, you can send the wife, you can send the kids, but you got to say, guys, I got to go out and I got to shovel snow. I got to go out and uh, be working at a soup kitchen. I got to be running around distributing, you know, heaters or blankets. Just look like you're doing something because you want to be part of the solution. You just don't want to be, oh, I was out on vacation that week, so I couldn't help anyone. This, you know, you keep talking about public service. Well, this is your time to service the public. And Ted Cruz dropped the ball here. That said, when I set out to write the morning told today on Mimeo Random, which is a pretty good site, it just kind of collects links of what people are talking about on various news sites. They, they cluster them, but 
Greg, the top eight items today were about Ted Cruz and his vacation. Everything about the coronavirus and everything else, and everything the Biden administration was doing, uh, all of that was further down the page because this was what, you know, that's that's one part, a what the media chooses to cover, but it also is a, here's what people who respond to the media choose to discuss. And I think our level of interest in this story uh, is a little disproportionate to the, you know, uh, uh, let the punishment fit the crime. Ted Cruz is going to have to answer his, his constituents about this. I just don't see Ted Cruz's Cancun vacation as being the biggest story in the country right now. So to paraphrase uh, PJ O'Rourke, stop watching and reading these articles. You're only encouraging them. Read me. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> but yeah, like that, there's a reason. Like I, I observed that in the beginning of today's morning, Joel. And then I told you about how the vaccine distribution is going because that's only, you know, like the biggest uh, logistics effort in the United States since probably World War II. And there's a whole bunch of lives that hang in the balance. But, you know, let's hear about what the Cruz family texted to their friends this week. That's what you need to hear. It's the Hollywoodization of politics. And what a pathetic and depressing way to end the week uh, by considering that reality with our politics right now. Jim, get some rest over the weekend. I'll see you on Monday. Oh, you think you had a rough week, huh, Greg? Is that it? (laughs) Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at Bambi. If you need help with your human resources, Bambi.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Always, always very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Uh, Please do that. Also, get us on those home devices. Uh, You can find us by just saying play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please join us again Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.